Thank you for downloading the Two Cities Church podcast, where we are pushing back darkness by spreading the good news of King Jesus. And now, here is this week's message from Pastor Jeff Struker. Been broken by King Jesus. Say amen. amen. You can grab a seat. Amen. Thank God. It's the week of travel for people all over the world. If you're a warrior in the military, chances are at the end of this week, you're traveling home on some kind of holiday exodus. There are people that are traveling for families. There are people that are traveling to to go to the beach just to get away. It's that time of year where people are traveling back home. And let's just be honest, some of the fondest memories that you and I may have are those memories of traveling home for the holidays, right? I mean, the gifts are pretty cool, but let's just be honest. What you and I really look forward to is getting back together with family that we haven't seen in a long time. Those can be some of the greatest memories a human will ever have. And then it's funny that the exact same incident under different circumstances can be one of the worst moments in another person's life. I'm talking about the guy or the gal who left to go to college thinking that they were going to conquer the world and then pretty soon the world beat them up and now they're traveling back home but this time it's very different because they're traveling back home beat up and their dreams are in ashes and dust around them. I'm talking about the person that left home to go out and to conquer the world, and then they come back empty-handed and move back in with mom and dad, and it almost feels like utter defeat, right? Total failure because I left to go conquer the world, and the world beat me, and now I'm moving back home and the epitome of failure, living back in my parents' house again, trying to get my feet underneath me. I'm telling you this because there's a moment in the Bible where this delicate situation happens to the great apostle Peter, perhaps one of the greatest saints in the Bible. And he's at this moment, this really awkward moment in Bible history. This is sometime after the resurrection of Jesus. We don't know the exact date of this event in the Bible today. Sometime after Jesus' resurrection, but before Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit falls. And when you read the story of Peter today, you can't miss the fact that he's gone back home empty-handed, and he's hurting, and he probably feels like a total failure. Because if you read the Peter that we're going to look at in just a second in John chapter 21, and then you compare this with just a couple of weeks from now, maybe even a couple of days from now, depending on exactly when this incident happened, Peter in Acts chapter 2, there is a world of difference between these two guys. And something happens on the beach near Peter's hometown that radically changes this man. He goes from moving back home empty-handed, a failure dejected, to becoming one of the greatest mouthpieces for Christianity recorded for us in the New Testament. Kenny, you might need to pull my vocals down just a little bit in case we get some feedback. 
We're going to be in John chapter 21. Hey, church, we have been studying through this Bible book for a long time. We're almost there. It's okay to clap and to say hallelujah. We're just about done with this book. We're in John chapter 21, and we're going to read of this account between Jesus and Peter and a couple other disciples. And the first thing that you read about is this moment where Peter moves back home, and I think he might be in mourning. You see, for people all over the world, life doesn't go the way you expected it to go. Your dreams fall apart right in front of you, and you got no choice but to go home, to get your feet back underneath you before you go out and to try to accomplish those dreams again. For many people, loss and grief and mourning can rip the carpet out from underneath them. In fact, I'm wearing this black armband today on purpose because for a lot of people to this day around the world, you put your hopes and your dreams in someone or something and then it died right in front of you. Maybe it was actually a spouse or a friend or a parent and then they died and now you have to go back to work and you have to go back to your life, but you want people to notice that something is different about me. I'm hurting. And so for people all over the world, they'll wear black, they'll wear a black armband. They're going back to work in black. And they want everybody to see the armband, to notice I'm hurting right now because something is deeply, uh, something, is, something that I love deeply is missing from my life. And I kind of think that's where Peter is right now. There's a lot about this passage that I really don't understand, and I've been studying it and meditating on it for years. But I want you to listen to this story like you're Peter. And I want you to put yourself in Peter's shoes for just a second. John chapter 21, if you're in the mobile app, the scriptures and the sermon notes are right there in front of you. We're going to start reading at verse 1. And here's what the Bible says. After this, the conversation between Jesus and Thomas and a few of the other disciples. After this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias. Just so that you know, this is Peter's hometown. This is where Jesus called Peter, Andrew, James, and John to follow him in the first place. He revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, called twin, Nathaniel from Cana of Galilee and Zebedee's sons, that's James and John, the two other disciples were together. I'm going fishing, Simon Peter said to them. We're coming with you, they told him. And then they went out and got into the boat. But that night they caught nothing. Say the word night out loud. That's a very important word in this story. When daybreak came, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples didn't know that it was Jesus. Friends, Jesus called to them. You didn't catch any fish, did you? No, they answered him. Cast the net on the right side of the boat, he told them, and you'll find some. So they did as uh, they did, and they were unable to haul it in because of the large number of fish. The disciple, the one Jesus loved, here we go again, said to Peter, it is the Lord. 
Now, I, I said, here we go again, because John, the guy who writes this book, is the one who Jesus loved, and John wants us to know, I recognized him first. Peter, you didn't even recognize him. I recognized him first. They're out in the boat, and they're fishing all night long. And there's a few things about this passage that I just don't understand. Like, Peter, why are you back at home? Peter, why are you back in the boat? You see, this makes sense if you're going back to your normal routine, if you're going back to your old life. If you remember the moment when Jesus found Peter, he was in a fishing boat. He had been fishing all night. It was a rough night, didn't catch anything. And Jesus meets Peter. And that moment, Jesus calls Peter, drop your nets, follow me, and I will make you a fisher of men. Peter why did you go back to catching fish in the Sea of Galilee when I called you to be a fisher of men? And when Peter says to the disciples, I'm going back to fishing, it's obvious that he's a leader because they listen and they say, well, if you're going back to fishing, I guess we're going back to fishing too. That's who we are. That's what we do. I guess we're going to go back to what we used to do before Jesus because we don't know what we're supposed to do right now. I really think what the Bible is describing for us right now is this awkward moment in church history where Jesus has risen from the grave. They know he's alive, but they don't know what to do next. And so they just go back to the old life. They go back to the normal life. And don't get me wrong, there's nothing wrong with going back to normal, going back to what's regular for you. Unless, and this is the part that I'm not really sure about, unless that you forget about your faith when you go back to normal. See, the truth is for all of us in this room that have been changed by King Jesus, the moment that he changed you, he probably didn't take you out of your home, out of your job, out of your city, out of your circumstances. He probably left you in the midst of those circumstances. But he made you different in the middle of those circumstances. And what I'm wondering right now is, Peter, are you trying to go back to the old man? It's okay if you're going back to the old business, but are you trying to go back to the old man that you were before you met Jesus? Because if that's what's happening here, that's wrong, Peter. That's not a good thing. Because the moment that Jesus saved us, he radically changed us. It's not the circumstances that changed. It's us in the middle of the circumstances that changed. And now we live different. Now we start to look different because something is different inside of us, not outside or around us. It's different inside of us. So Peter goes back to fishing. And the word night is important because people didn't fish at night in Peter's day unless you were desperate. Unless you really needed money. You see, the fishers went out during the day. They'd find the schools of fish. They'd throw the nets. They'd pull the fish in. They'd go take it and sell it for a day's catch. That's your day's wages. That's your food to feed your family today. You go out at night, and it means you're in trouble. And Peter and the disciples are out fishing, apparently all night long. And they got nothing to show for it. When they start to come back in, disappointed, dejected, didn't get what they were looking for. And somebody's on the beach with a little barbecue, a braai fire going on, ready to cook up some food for breakfast. 
they're just not sure who this guy is that's on the beach. I know a thing or two about traveling home dejected and disappointed because I just went through one of the most painful airplane rides of my life this week. Not only was it 16 and a half hours long, one flight from Johannesburg to Atlanta, but I came back totally disappointed. Thank you, church, for your prayers. Thank you for your love, for your support as I attempted this race in South Africa. But to be honest, this race was tougher than I expected. And it beat me up. And when I came back, it is one of very few times in my life that I didn't have what it takes to cross the finish line. Having scratched from the race, did not finish next to my name. I came back a little bit embarrassed and a whole lot bumped and, and, and uh, beat up a little bit from this mountain bike race. In fact, my hands were riding on the handlebars so hard for so long that I pinched the nerves on my hands and the two fingers on both hands right here are completely numb and totally useless. I feel like the guy that has the metal clamps right now, that's all that works on my hands right now. That's how bad this race beat me up. And I came back home and I didn't get what I wanted. I was disappointed, and I was reminding myself, I had to actually remind myself of this on the flight home. Sometimes the most powerful lessons in life are the most painful lessons in life. It's not standing on the victory platform, holding up the trophy that really, really impacts you. It's when you put your heart into, and soul into something, and it didn't work out, and you have to take a half step back and the lessons that you learn from those moments, those tend to stick with you a lot longer and have a much bigger impact. I think this is the moment in Peter's life where he needs to learn a lesson. And if you stick with us and come back next week, the lesson that Jesus teaches him, Peter will never, ever forget. We're still reading about it 2,000 years later because of what a powerful moment this was in Peter's life. He came back home and it didn't work out the way that he thought it would go. And now he's trying to bring home the bacon and take care of the family, but he can't even catch any fish tonight until Jesus tells him, throw the net on the other side of the boat. And listen to what the Bible says happens next, starting in verse seven. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he tied his outer garment around him, for he had taken it off. He was kind of in his underwear at this point. And he plunged into the sea. This is classic Simon Peter here. Forget all restraint, just go in head first. He plunged into the sea. And since they were not far from land, about 100 yards away, the other disciples came in the boat, left those losers to take care of the fish. I'm going to see Jesus. And they dragged the net full of fish. When they got out on land, they saw the charcoal fire, fire there, the fish lying on it, and bread. Bring some of the fish you just caught, Jesus told them. So Simon Peter climbed up and hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them. Even though there were so many, the net was not torn. I just need you to know, I'm not one of those Da Vinci Code theologians that see crazy spiritual significance in numbers in the Bible. Don't ask me what 153 means because I think what it means is there was 153 fish in the net. That's all that I can come up with here. Peter's in the boat. He's working hard. 
He takes his outer garment off because he's working so hard. He's working all night long and he's got nothing to show for it until Jesus enters into the equation. And at this point, I kind of want to ask you, church, does this feel like a miracle to you, the number of fish that they just pulled in when Jesus says, cast your net on the other side of the boat? Does that feel like a miracle to you? I don't think it's the catch that gets Peter's attention. I think it's the voice that calls out to him. Friends, did you catch anything? And then John recognizes, I know that voice. And John says, hey, that's Jesus' voice. And Peter forgets all about the money. Remember, they're out in the boat fishing tonight to make some money. We need money. That's why we're out here at night. And we got nothing to show for it. And now they've got this windfall. And let's just be honest, y'all. If this was just about the money, Peter might have gone back to his old professional life of fishing for the, the stuff that you can catch in the water instead of fishing for men and women like Jesus called him to do. But when he heard Jesus' voice, Peter forgot all about the nets, forgot all about the fish. The rest of the disciples are now breaking their back trying to pull these fish in, but Peter just jumps overboard and goes headfirst after Jesus because he's hurting and he needs to be with Jesus. And I don't think it's an accident what we're reading here. In the other books of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they'll tell you Jesus' final words to his church before he leaves heaven or leaves earth and returns to heaven. John doesn't do that for whatever reason. John gives us this conversation as kind of Jesus' last words that we hear from him before Jesus is taken back up to heaven. In Matthew, Mark, and Luke, Jesus makes it abundantly clear what the church is supposed to do after he leaves earth. You can't miss it when Jesus gives the great commission in Matthew chapter 28. You can't miss the way Luke understands this in Luke, or I mean in Acts chapter 1, when he writes this famous statement about how Jesus sends them into Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria. You keep going until everybody at the ends of the earth have heard my name. John doesn't give us that story. John just tells us about Peter going back to the old way of life because Peter's not really sure what to do next. Here's what's fascinating to me. Keep reading the next book in the Bible in Acts. Acts chapter 1 when the disciples are all gathered together, when the Holy Spirit falls on them in Acts chapter 2, immediately all of them know what I'm supposed to do next. And they will spend the rest of their life doing it. They'll spend the rest of their life going out and telling other people what Jesus has done for them. Here's what I think is fascinating, church. They go back to their old way of life but they go back different after the Holy Spirit falls at Pentecost in the book of Acts. They go back now with a new mission. And virtually every single person that you read about in the New Testament were regular guys and gals just like you. They worked a very regular job just like you did, but they turned that regular job into something special, something sacred, something holy. 
because they really viewed, I'm no longer just a fisherman. Now I'm out fishing for men. I'm no longer just a tent maker. Now I make tents so I can make a few dollars so I can travel down some roads and go to villages that have never heard about Jesus before. And every guy, every gal that you read about in the New Testament, they all had a regular job. They just took Jesus with them to work. They took Jesus with them to the gym. They took Jesus with them to school. They took Jesus with them to their hobbies. And they wanted to make sure that everybody around them knew the difference that Jesus made in their life. I think pastors have sometimes gotten the way of the Great Commission. I want to compliment Pastor Troy. He and I work really hard and know I have met few pastors that are as passionate like Pastor Troy is of making sure that you understand the kingdom of God belongs to his people, not to the professional clergy. It's God's people just going to work, going to their hobbies, hanging out with their friends, going to the gym, going to, uh, their, going to, to school, and telling people about Jesus along the way. That's what makes a world of difference. That's what the New Testament disciples did. They just took Jesus with them in their everyday walk of life. That's what Jesus is asking you or I to do as well. It's just take your faith with you. And somehow what pastors have done is elevated their own position so high that it minimizes your role in the kingdom of God. I could tell you right now about Pastor Troy. He is a man that is absolutely convinced our role here as leaders of this church is to help you see your powerful impact in the kingdom of God by just living your life and telling people about Jesus while you're doing it. That will transform the world. That will accomplish Jesus' instructions to his church of going to your neighborhood and then your city and then your state, your, your country, and finally to the ends of the earth with the gospel. And then there's this moment. I'm convinced Peter will never forget it where he has breakfast on the beach. And let's just be honest, y'all. It's not the fish and the bread that he's going to remember. It's the conversation that he had at the fireplace that he will remember for the rest of his life. You guys know that famous painting, right? Hanging on the ceiling of the cathedral that shows God with his finger pointed down to man. And then it shows man reaching as hard as he can, trying to get up to heaven. But there's this gap between the two fingers. You guys recognize that painting, right? I really believe what's happening here is Jesus is becoming the bridge that connects these two fingers together. You see, a holy God, because he's pure, because he's perfect, cannot be in the presence of a sinful man. And Peter, the first time that he's in Jesus' presence, Peter recognizes this moment. And Peter says, get away from me, Jesus, because I am a sinful man and I don't even deserve to be in your presence. And then Jesus takes on our sin and he makes it possible for a sinful man or woman to be connected to a holy God, to, for these two fingers to touch. And now man and God have nothing breaking the connection between them anymore. 
And it all happened because of a cross and because of an empty tomb just a couple of days earlier. So look at what happens next in this beautiful moment where this breakfast on the beach becomes something sacred, something special, something that Peter won't forget for the rest of his life. Come and have breakfast, Jesus told them. None of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? Because they knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, took the bread, and gave it to them. He did the same with the fish. Now, this was the third time Jesus appeared to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. And by the way, if you were to go to Jerusalem, go to the Sea of Tiberias or the Sea of Galilee, there is a spot that marks exactly where this happened. This is one of the few points on earth where we are absolutely sure this conversation takes place. Let me ask you a quick question. Unless you're one of those people that are really super routine, how many of you remember exactly what you ate for breakfast last Tuesday? Anybody? Well, the, the couple of you that are raising your hands, you eat the exact same thing for breakfast for like the last 50 years. You know what you ate on Tuesday because it's been the same thing for 50 years. Here's what I'm saying. It's not the food that marks this moment. It's the conversation. It's who he was having a conversation with. And Jesus has started a little bit of fire, and people are hungry. They got to eat. You've been fishing all night long. Hey, y'all go grab some fish out of that net and bring it over here. Let me fry up a little fish, and let me give you some breakfast on the beach today. And after this, Jesus pulls Peter off to the side. Spoiler alert. Next week, has a conversation with him that Peter will never, ever forget and becomes a very different man because of all of the disciples come sit around him. All of the disciples have a conversation with Jesus on the beach. And this conversation apparently is so important that John, the guy who was there, who writes this for us, wants you to remember it 2,000 years later. I still remember the breakfast that I had on the beach, John is saying. And it wasn't the fish. I don't even remember what that bread tasted like. But I remember gathered around the fireplace are gathered around the fire and having a conversation with the risen Lord. And it fundamentally changed me. Back in, the, back in the late 60s, early 70s, one of the most influential and successful music groups of a decade had a tragedy. The band had already had six very successful albums, and then their lead singer died of an overdose, February 1970, a singer by the name of Bon Scott. Now, Scott was so different. His voice was so unique that it was irreplaceable. The band had already started working on a seventh album. And after their lead singer died, they thought to themselves, there's absolutely no way that we could find somebody to replace the lead singer, let alone a voice like that. No one can replace Bon Scott's voice. And so they were in mourning, they were frustrated, they were disappointed, and the parents of the lead singer, Bon Scott's mom and dad met with the band and said, what are you guys gonna do next? And they all said, you know what? 
I guess it's time for us to break up and to go our separate ways. There's no way we can keep a band together without a voice like that. And mom and dad said, I think you guys should reconsider. I really think that you should try to find somebody else to replace our son. I really think, and here's what the parents said, the greatest way to honor our son is to keep doing what you were doing and give it everything that you've got. Just don't hold back. So the band started auditions and started bringing guys in, and eventually they stumbled across this singer. Doesn't sound anything like the original lead singer, but a guy by the name of Brian Johnson started to sing, and they said, that's it. That's our voice. We're going to keep going, and we're going to make an album, and we're going to make an album to honor our lead singer. They created what is considered one of the greatest rock and roll albums of all time, a band by the name of ACDC, who created an album entitled Back in Black. It was their way of honoring the lead singer and saying the best thing that we could do is to keep doing what we were doing. Just do it with all that we've got. Do it with all of our gusto. We're obviously going to have to do it different because the guy who brought the band together, the famous voice that is irreplaceable, is gone. But what we can do is keep doing the thing that we love. Keep doing the thing that we really believe we're supposed to do and do it with everything that we've got. No one, no one expected this to become one of the most successful albums in rock and roll history by most standards. Because ACDC just simply said, I know what I'm supposed to do next. I just have to do it a little bit different. And I'm talking right now to somebody whose marriage is falling apart. And you're hanging on by a thread, and no matter what you do, it's not getting better. It's just falling apart. And you're ready to throw in the towel and quit and walk away. I'm talking about the guy or the gal that's given their business everything that they've got, but the industry changed, the economy uh, underwent this radical shift, and now you've got nothing left to show for it but broken dreams. I'm talking about the person that went out there hoping to conquer the world, and instead, the world conquered them, and you're wondering, what do I do next? When life doesn't work out the way you want it to go, you have two options. You can sit on the couch and eat Rocky Road ice cream and pout, or you can decide to change your plans and to do something different. But decide, I'm not going to let it stop me. When Jesus died, his disciples were so distraught that they felt like, that's it. I got nothing left to show for it. Mom and dad, I left you. I left the family business. I left the fishing nets. I left it all to go follow this rabbi. And I thought he was going to conquer the world. And then he died right in front of me. And when he died, all of my hopes and dreams died with him because I thought I was going to be right next to him when he conquered the world. And now he's dead. And all that I hoped for, all that I dreamed for, it just fell apart in my hands. And I got nothing left to show for it. What they missed is Jesus' first words to them 
when he saw Peter, Andrew, James, and John out on the boat and said, guys, drop your nets. Leave the family business. Follow me, and I will use you to turn this world upside down. If you will just keep doing what I've called you to do and keep doing it and keep doing it. And by the way, remember that it's actually not you doing it. It's my spirit doing it through you. But if you will just keep doing it, you will turn the world upside down. They will stand up and take notice. And sure enough, a couple of chapters from now in the book of Acts, the most powerful religious leaders on earth call Peter Andrew, James, and John on the carpet. And they command them by all the power that they have at their discretion, stop telling people about Jesus because when you talk about Jesus, thousands, not tens, not hundreds, thousands of people stand up and take notice. And we're commanding you, stop talking about Jesus. And these simple fishermen look the most powerful religious leaders in the eyes. And they say, I have been so impacted by him that you decide whether it's right between you and God. But as for me, I will keep telling people about Jesus and you can't do anything to stop me. And after they leave the room, here's what the religious leaders say. There is absolutely nothing that these guys have going for them except they've been in the presence of Jesus. And it's radically, fundamentally changed them so much that they're different because of it. That's what God is doing through his church. Go back to work tomorrow. Go back to your hobbies. Go back to your sports. Go back to your social clubs. Go back to the circles that you're normally in. But go back different because of the mission that Jesus has set you on. To go light the world on fire and turn it upside down with the most powerful news that's ever been heard. The news that sinners can be radically and totally changed by Jesus. You do that, and people sit up and take notice. So I want to place a couple of next steps in front of you. I hope somebody listened to this broadcast for the first time in their life, and the light in the darkness came on. And you start to realize your need for Jesus for the first time that your life has been meaningless and hopeless without him, and that today you need to turn it all over to him. In just a second, I'm going to pray for you. But for all the rest of us, this may be you right now. Maybe this happens to you in the future. When life disappoints, when it doesn't go the way you expect it to go, when you feel like it's time for me to run home like a failure with my tail between my legs, when those moments happen, turn them over to Jesus because they can become very powerful moments of change that God uses to do something beautiful in your life. It's powerful because it's painful. We hope you enjoyed this message. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast and to stay in touch by joining our email list through the link in the show notes. Have a great week.